Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. What if I told you that there is a way to create balance in the home to ensure that all of those small essential jobs like doing the laundry or making pat lunches or sorting the recycling are divided fairly between you and your partner? Because it's a fact that in most homes, the woman shoulders the brunt of the domestic duties and the childcare responsibilities, regardless of whether she's got a job outside of the home. It's often called emotional labour and my guest on this episode, Eve Rodsky, says that she has a solution, a system which will revolutionise the way that you organise and allocate these tasks. In her book, Fair Play, Eve takes us through how big this problem is for women and explains the game that she's devised. So I sat down with her in the only podcast interview that she did while she was in the UK to talk about playing fair. A very warm welcome to you, Eve Rodsky. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here in the UK. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that you've written a book which might revolutionise relationships everywhere. Thank you. Does that feel like quite a big um, pressure to have on you, I guess? Um, Yes, it, it does feel like big pressure, but I will say that the beauty has been, I've had seven years of research this has been a seven-year quest, um, and 500 couples all over the world, including England, including London. Um, and so I feel like I'm channeling those stories. So that's what's so beautiful about it. I don't feel a lot of pressure to have to just talk about myself or maybe other people do in other mediums. But this book is really a book about other people's stories. So I guess you're just the messenger. I feel like a messenger. Yeah, that's nice. That, that yeah. must be less pressure, actually. It does feel like less pressure because when you can look out there, I had, there was a favorite sociology class I took in college, um, a sociologist named C. Wright Mills, and he talked about how private lives become public issues, and that's the beauty of sociology. And so for me, it was looking at all these private lives and seeing similar patterns that were happening to women and men, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their ethnicity, and saying, wow, there's some public issues here. Yeah. And being able to bring those to light, that's been so wonderful. So what were the issues that in your seven years of research and interviews that you discovered? Oh, that's, yeah, I have a, I have a lot of them in the book, um, but I would say 
The number one thing I found was that the smallest details were creating the biggest problems. Right. And what I mean by that is if you're not having the right expectations and communication set up for your relationship, then you end up divorcing over glue sticks. I have a man, a man in New York telling me that he was locked out of his house over a glue stick. Their biggest fight was over a glue stick. And he didn't know whether he'd be let in ever to his house. Should he drive into Manhattan, you know, get a hotel room? He lived in the suburbs of New York City. Um, his wife, obviously, you know, you can understand her side of the story. She'd been working three weeks on the Albert Einstein biography project where they had gone to the libraries multiple t- different libraries multiple times, Xeroxed different pictures of Albert Einstein, cut it out, made captions, had it all laid out on the poster board, and, you know, she just needed that glue stick. And he, you know, her partner can bring it home. I had a woman, a, a COO of a publicly traded company, very high-powered woman, say to me when I asked her, what is her greatest challenge? She said it was getting her husband to remember to take out the kitty litter, not running her publicly traded company. And so that was um, a very interesting finding. But as mediators, I'm a mediator and a lawyer by trade. And a lot of times what we say is the presenting problem is never the real problem. Yeah. And so when I dug deeper underneath these small details, I realized it was not about the glue sticks or kitty litter. But what was happening was that men in society were not valuing women's time the same as their own. So men, women, and society, I found, view men's time as finite, like diamonds, and women's time as infinite, like sand. I loved, I loved that, that part of the, your book. It really felt like almost a light bulb moment when I was reading it. I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is, you, you have hit on something so simple, yeah. but so huge here. And you came to that conclusion, didn't you, when you came home from a trip? <laughs> And there was a, a jacket and yes, a beer yes. can on your lawn that Correct. your husband had kind of told you about and then ignored until you got home and you got the rubber gloves on and got Correct. the trash bag. And Correct. And Correct. That, Correct. Was, that, that is what made you think, hang on a minute, he values his time right. more than he values my time. Correct. This is a funny <laughs> story in the book that you'll uh, your readers can find, but it's called The Case of the Drunk Man's Jacket. And it was basically a jacket and a beer bottle left on my lawn for 16 hours while we both worked. I worked in another city, and I came back home from a work trip, uh, got off the airplane, and found the jacket and beer bottle on our lawn 16 hours later. And so I really gave my husband the benefit of the doubt because I figured, you know, maybe he was dead, you know, or trapped under a giant boulder. But no, he was alive. He was uh, laid out on our bed. And I had found out when um, I saw that jacket and beer bottle on the lawn 16 hours later after he had texted me that morning saying he found that jacket and beer bottle on the lawn when I was in a different city, uh, that he had had four hours to decompress from his day. Uh, Check Sports Center, which is our, you know, our our football and baseball podcast, um, you know, TV shows and podcasts. He finished a PowerPoint presentation, worked out. So he had four hours to decompress from his long day, but not enough time apparently to pick up a drunk guy's jacket and beer bottle he found on our lawn 16 hours earlier. And that was um, sort of my first aha moment to understand that, uh, you know, that that text he had sent me that morning, which had started this whole incident of the drunk man's jacket, which was a, hey, 
Um, some guy left our a jacket and beer bottle on our lawn. It wasn't a this is a gross text, but it was a this is on you text. And so I started thinking about all the this is on you texts that women get, especially after kids, from the moment we wake up and why, you know, maybe we're running up against the clock from that moment we wake up. Why do you, why do you think it changes when we have kids? Why do you think that <laughs> there's, a, you know, because it feels it does, like... It does. But why? Well, for sure, um, the, the, I think the, the worst advice you can get is, um, you know, the best thing you could do is, is, is you know, the, the best thing for your career is the man you marry. You know, all this crappy advice that you hear um, sort of from maybe other feminists. But the reason why that's so crappy is because men change. Mm-hmm. They change. And, you know, do I, what I really think, I think, that, you know, a baby falls out of your vagina and the patriarchy takes over. That's what I really think happens. Um, but I don't say that, you know, <laughs> it's sort of um, in the book or in, you know, in, in other areas. But why does that happen? Because, um, well, we know men do 5 to 15 hours less you know, sort of per child after kids are born. And even relationships that felt super fair before, it was hard to find a relationship that felt equally fair after, in my, even in my 500-plus interviews. And I do think it's all about time because you have less of it after kids. And so to me, it's this idea that when men and women's society view men's time as finite, like diamonds, and women's as infinite, like sand, then when you have less of that time, there's a different expectation over how we're supposed to use our time. And so we have different choices over how we use our time. I'm supposed to use the last 12 minutes of my day to pick up a drunk guy's jacket, even though I've been working just as hard and my husband's allowed to or feels entitled to take four hours of leisure time for himself. And so Professor Darby Saxby out of USC in the United States she talks a lot about that, about she does leisure time studies, about men and their leisure time. And so they are obviously much more willing to, to claim that, that time much more than women are. But here's the worst part. The worst part is that women, women were not the ones valuing their own time. And so I had women all over the world say to me things like, well, of course I'm going to pick up the drunk guy's jacket because my husband makes more money than me. Yeah. But that's a terrible argument because even in the same jobs, women make less money. So we'll be doing everything forever then. Other women said to me, um, in the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I might as well do it myself. So I went to the top behavioral economists in the world. And they said, that's terrible long-term thinking for women. Of course you want to teach someone how to do it so you don't have to do it forever. And, you know, other women said to me, I'm wired differently. I'm a better multitasker. And so that was my favorite. Um, my favorite. My favorite experts were the neuroscientists who said there's no difference in our brains. Men are equally capable at multitasking. They have equal wonderful executive function. But imagine, one said to me, imagine you can convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. That's that's, that's the biggest call, and that's the biggest mind game surely that has ever been pulled off the biggest mind game ever we have convinced half this population through our we're better multitaskers i'm wired differently that we're better at wiping asses and doing dishes that was a very conservative male neuroscientist who said that and so also my favorite my last thing i'll say is that women and men who had the same job even the same job i found women saying to me my husband's super overwhelmed but i find the time 
And so unless we're Albert Einstein, right, unless we can mess with the space-time continuum, there's really no way to find time. It's just, again, like I said, how women are expected to use their time. Which is just crazy when, you know, when you look back on the last 50, 60, 70 years, we've come so far with, you know, getting equality and, you know, fighting for, you know, to be seen, you know, and to to be treated equally. And yet in the home, where that's almost like that's the most important part of our lives. Correct. Everything else is just on the edges. It's, it's window dressing. It if we're really not is. willing to handle this issue, I will die on the sword. That's why I'm here talking to you today. <laughs> I, I flew out to the UK because I think I will die on the sword talking about this issue. I think it is imperative for women to step into their full power in the world. We have to invite men to step into their full power in the home. It is the only way because otherwise we're going to have things like what happened in America last month where I picked up the you know most recent 100 most innovative CEOs on the Forbes list and 99 had one thing in common. They had penis and testicles. So that does not feel like equality to me no, really in the doesn't. workplace. Yeah. But again, to me, it's because it has to start in the home. It has to. There's yeah. no way we can have equality in the workplace if we don't have it at home. If men aren't doing their fair share of tasks at home and with, you know with childcare and all the rest of it then how does that free up time for women to then achieve stuff in the workplace uh, absolutely and even more than that we're we're there's a real motherhood bias and um and the motherhood penalty and your listeners I don't know if you've heard of the motherhood penalty but actually there is a worse differential in salary between mothers and non-mothers than even men and women. Mm-hmm. It's the most we're the most discriminated against, and it's because when men have their first child, they get an, on average a six percent increase in salary, and when women have their first ch- ch- child, um, they get a five to ten percent decrease. And again, you can imagine why. It's because society does believe it's on us, and so they think you know society thinks that. We're going to do a worse job. We're going to be less committed. We're going to leave. And oftentimes women do do leave or take a career detour. There's one statistic that 43% of women uh, after children, this is a U.S. statistic, uh, take a career detour. So that's too, that's too many. Yeah. But then many. So, so many of those people, so, so many of those women probably feel they have to. Correct. They probably feel that they can't go back into work. Maybe they've asked for, you know, f- flexible working hours and had them turned down, or perhaps they have a confidence crisis. There are so many reasons. And that, all those things happened to me. So you're speaking to me. So thank you um, for that was a good setup. Yeah, that's basically what happened to me. I mean, I'm a Harvard trained attorney. I'm a mediator. I'm trained to use my voice, um, so I'm good. I'm I'm good at asking for what I want. There's a lot of women don't ask. No, I asked. I asked for the salary when I was at my corporation that I worked at at the time when I f- had my first son Zach in New York, um, and I all I wanted was um, a flexible Friday that I could work from home. I wasn't even asking for part time work. I was asking for a full time job where I could work at home on Fridays because I wanted to be able to get things done, be closer to my son, pick him up from uh, his daycare. But that request was denied. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because how many men, after having their first child, go in and have those conversations with their employers? 
You know, right. it's, you know, you, you, I don't know whether you even no, discussed that none. with your husband. Yeah, so exactly, yes. But for, for me personally, when I had my first child nine years ago, we didn't even have that conversation. It was just a case of, well, I'll ask, after my maternity leave, of course. I'll ask if I can go part-time. I just got chills because I think that, you know, again, for your listeners to have that understanding that it's on me was another toxic time message that I talked about along with the ones we just talked about before. It's on me. It never occurred to me that it wasn't on me, which is so crazy. And maybe because I was believing the toxic time messages that my hours are less valuable than my husband's because at the time he did have a bigger salary than I did, even though we're equally trained. I'm actually more trained than he is in terms of degrees, but I chose the life in philanthropy and I made good money, but he chose a life in private equity. So, you know, I, this, it's on me. I, I was sort of running around behind the scenes, not having any conversations with him about what our expectations looked like in my return to work. I just assumed I had to be the one to pick up, as in fair play we now call, you know, the metaphor is cards, the, you know, the, the hundred cards, the tasks. I thought I had to hold them all. And so holding all those cards and not having any flexibility in the workplace felt untenable to me. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah. And also you, you talk about in, in, in the book about how quite often when the mum returns to work or talks about, you know, looks into returning to work, she might uh, work out how much childcare will cost, look at her salary. Oh, I love that you, you took out that part in the book. And That's think, good. well, actually, this isn't worth it because it's only just going to cover the childcare costs. Therefore, I may as well just stay at home. And your point in the book is that's not how we should be looking at this. It should be how much money are we bringing in as a couple? Yes. And yes. how much a childcare going to cost? It shouldn't be that the, the, the mum's salary covers childcare. Correct. I, it's not one vagina replacing another vagina. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that is, again, another toxic time message that we have to replace ourselves. It makes no sense. And there's a lot of beautiful sociologists who back me up on this issue. Um, and they say the same thing, that how did we get this idea that I have to replace myself. Yeah. Isn't this child half somebody else's? Shouldn't they have to replace themselves as well? Yeah. Or at least half replace themselves? And if we start doing economic calculation where uh, we look at childcare as half of a men's, man's responsibility, then actually the economic calculation does make sense for a lot of women to go back to work, especially when you look at your lifetime of earnings mm. and your uh, retirement plans. And your health benefits, things that are invisible but actually um, are really important to wages. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, you... thank you for picking up on that because, <laughs> yeah, I don't get to talk about that that much. So thank you. You're welcome. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, so you, um, you were talking about this with all your friends and you came up with a shit I do list. Correct. Tell me uh, what was on your shit I do list. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, I'll tell you, just you have to picture the scene, um, sort of had this started. I was at this breast cancer march with 10 of my uh, best friends and we were, you know, in, covered in pink glitter and we were wearing all pink sweatpants and we were chanting not just a female problem and courage, strength and power and it felt so good. That is until the first text came in around noon um, and we were uh, downtown LA, 10 of us, you know, sort of laughing in a group and all of a sudden one of our friends picks up her phone and it was her husband, and his text said, when are you coming home from the parade? Uh, he had been with the children all morning, and he was done. Um, the novelty it, yeah, had worn done. off. The novelty <laughs> had worn off, and ironically, uh, sort of like an anthropological experiment, all of our phones sort of bust to life as soon as she started responding to her text. And it was things like, where did you put Hudson's soccer bag? What's the address of the birthday party? And my all-time favorite was, do the kids need to eat lunch? Nah. Only on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. <laughs> Only, yeah, the rest we, of the week, they don't have to eat lunch. Not when you're taking care of them. <laughs> and so what happened to me that day was, as one of my friends, Katie, said, you know, maybe we should skip lunch and go home to find the soccer bag to feed our kids lunch. I was thinking... I was so dejected by that day. And as she, my friend Katie said to us, you know, we should go home, um, I decided I had an act of resistance. My act of resistance that day was to count up all the phone calls and texts we received from our um, partners and substitute women that had come in to help them that day. And we had had 30 phone calls and 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. Wow. And it really got me thinking that day, because this is also around the same time that I was getting jackets left for me on the on the front lawn, like we just talked about. I'm thinking about um, why was this all on us? Why are women doing two-thirds of what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work out outside the home? And so as I uh, went on a quest to find out, I read every article and book on the subject of the gender division of labor, all the way back from 1920s when Virginia Woolf wrote the, A Room of One's Own, that you know, a woman couldn't be Shakespeare because of her domestic responsibilities, her encumbered mind. And what I found out was that there was a name for what we're talking about today. The second shift, mm-hmm. emotional labor, the mental load. But my ultimate favorite was 1987 article from a sociologist that called what was happening to women the in- invisible work. And what I loved about the term invisible work was there was a solution buried in there, right? Because you can't value what you don't see. And so I had this light bulb moment that maybe there's visibility and value in visibility. If there's value in visibility, what if I call those women from the Breast Cancer March and friends of friends and their friends and ask them one question, what is it that you do that may be invisible to your partner or your children? And you can imagine, I got texts and emails and phone calls flying in from people that I didn't even know. Women were saying to me, 
oh, you want to know how invisible things? Well, don't forget Elf on the Shelf. That takes, you know, one hour times 20 days. Or um, taking your child to a dental appointment and booking it, you know, one hour. Um, don't forget sunscreen, two minutes to apply, but 30 minutes for the chase, you oh, know? I was yeah. say two minutes to <laughs> apply. No, 30 minutes for the chase. <laughs> That's so, so true. Yeah. So it, it got bigger and bigger, and I put it into Excel because I love spreadsheets. And ultimately, the shit I do spreadsheet was 98 tabs and about 20 sub-tabs, over 1,000 items of invisible work. Wow. And so one day I get the courage to send it to Seth because I was using my amazing mediation skills. And I just sent it off, the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet, and with a subject line and an email that said, can't wait to discuss. That's the most passive-aggressive, beautifully <laughs> passive-aggressive thing I think I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, and as you can imagine, that didn't go off so well. So I just, as I awaited his response, um, I was so excited. But then, you know, very disappointed as um, just that one monkey, that sad monkey that's covering its eyes, the see-no-evil monkey, that is what he responded with. And I realized at that moment, it was a very important moment for me because the best books, even the best books out there up until Fair Play had said things like make a list. So I just told you, I made the best freaking list in the whole wide world. And it was not something that Seth could digest or, and it was completely overwhelming and there was no context for that list. So it was see no evil in my home, but what was worse was this shit I do spreadsheet unleashed a shit storm to women I didn't even know. I had this one woman saying to me, WTF, look at all I'm doing. I had no idea I was doing all this. I was like, okay. And then a woman I didn't even know, another one said, um, hi, Eve, just want to let you know at this rate, uh, I'm not staying in my marriage. And so I realized, you know, when you let loose a rant without a solution, it's almost worse than not being conscious at all. Yeah, yeah. You had basically like the, the light bulb had gone off in all of these women's heads. And I mean, that's a lot of pressure, surely. Yeah, it was. It felt like a do no harm. Mm. That there was something almost worse about having created this, this you know, monstrosity of a spreadsheet over um, a couple of months. And it sort of made me angry at the people who had come up with solutions, you know, um, along the way before fair play, just, you know, angry that there wasn't any thought and rigor mm -hmm. in how these things could backfire for women. Yeah. And that's why fair play really is a system. It's not a list. And not only is it a system, but it's based on how you communicate. So you took the list and rather yes. than just leaving it as a passive aggressive list yes. that, that would be, that would, you know, be the source of arguments and uh, unhappiness. You, you turned it into a game yes. that uh, hopefully uh, or, or has yes, already yes. Uh, changed the way that men and women operate in the home. Yeah, 100%. My beta testers, um, and I have hundreds of them now, are having transformative change in their home, including me and my husband, Seth. Um, he's a very different man than he was when he left me a drunk guy's jacket and beer bottle on our lawn. And the beauty of it is really it's based on stripping back this idea of 50-50 because I fundamentally believe 50-50 is the wrong equation. Mm. And I think it's held women back actually for 100 years. And what I mean by that is that it's never 50-50. Yeah. And when you expect that and it leads to disappointment, then guess what comes out of that? Resentment. And as your resentometer grows to, you know, 6 to 7 to 8 to 9 to ding, 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 10, it's very hard to come down from it. Yeah. So what happens instead when you have values conversations and conversations about your expectations. 
And so ultimately, fair play is a card game. It's a figurative card game. You learn everything you need to know about how to play in the book. But it's based on this idea of owning your task when you're holding it, even if it's just one card. I saw women feeling that they were hitting perceived fairness, which is perceived fairness is actually a more important scientific way to measure happiness in couples than actual fairness, since who knows what actual fairness really means. But perceived fairness from just one card, from their partner taking ownership of one card. And what I mean by ownership is what we call in the organizational management world, the business world, conception, planning, and execution. And that is really can be easily explained by just understanding mustard. Somebody in your house has to know your second son, Johnny, likes, you know, yellow mustard with his protein. Otherwise, he chokes on his, you know, hamburgers and turkey or whatever. That's the conception. Somebody has to notice that mustard is running low and put it on a grocery list along with other things for the week. That's the planning. That's in the business world what we call planning. And then someone needs to get their butt to the store to buy the yellow mustard. And that's in the business world what we call execution. And in my findings, in my interviews, I found that's where men step in. And that's a huge problem because they're bringing the spicy Dijon home <laughs> with the gross seeds. And you, you, you talk about how you, you were chatting to, to one man who said quite proudly, well, I cook dinner. Yes. And you were like, great. But it actually turned out that his wife or his partner did all the meal planning. Correct. And all the shopping. Exactly. And so he was doing the execution, but he wasn't doing the planning or the conception. Exactly. The conception of the planning. Yes, What's absolutely. The, the conception <clears throat> of the planning. And what happens in that case, right, when you're bringing home spicy Dijon instead of French's yellow or, you know, yellow mustard, you're... Um, I'm not sure what the UK version of French is. I think we have French. Okay, Eric. I'm going to actually go find it. In <laughs> I'm the aware of store. it. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of it and bring it home. Um, the, what happens is that men all over this country, I mean all over the US and, and the UK too, were saying things to me like, I can't get anything right. I go to the store for mustard and I can't get anything right. Yeah. So why would I go back to the store? Yeah. And so they feel nagged. They, they feel do. underappreciated. And, and so Fair Play why it started as a love letter to women. And there is some anger in the beginning because of, you know, I want to sort of wake up women. Um, it's really a love letter to men because they don't – when you're just the executor, when you're just sort of that that little piece, when you don't have a role, a big role and ownership of anything in the home, it doesn't feel good either. It's not working for men either. Mm-hmm. And so women, though, were saying to me all over – you know, the world, well, Eve, what is this estate planning card? You know, you want me to trust my husband with our living will? He can't even bring home the right type of mustard. So back to what I was saying to you before about the presenting problem is never the real problem. That's what mediators say. This is, again, not about mustard. This is about trust. And how do you get to a place where you trust each other enough where the standard feels fair to both of you, where things are happening so you're not having to give reminders over and over again just to get something basic done like the right type of mustard, or men get to feel like they're not always being nagged. Mm. That's ultimately a completely, it requires a completely new way of how we talk about the home. And I'm asking people to come to the table to treat their home as their most important organization with some respect and rigor and not just say we'll figure it out because nobody figures it out and actually a third of divorces are over this unfairness we're not figuring it out Mm. so but when we can come to the table with a system with 
And the systems are fun. The, the game is actually fun, and it's not hard to play. So the game is uh, dividing up all of the tasks, and that is everything from buying the mustard to yes. feeding the cat to childcare to picking the, the bins out, all of that stuff, and transferring them onto cards, which you then physically divide up between you exactly. via discussion and working out the value that you place on each task. Is that correct? Oh my God, that was such a good, yeah, I'm taking you on the road with me. So that was perfect. Um, and what's so beautiful about your your uh, description was you, you, you hit the nail on the head with the word value. So the, the cards are available with the book. Um, you can just put your email in at fairplaylife.com and you actually get the playing cards. Um, they're a free download. Um, and if any of your listeners want any promotional packs, uh, we have extras that the publisher uh, graciously made for us, so they can DM me at Eve Rodsky um, or Fair Play Life. But um, yes, it's really this beautiful um, conversations because women, and this is what I found, women are were saying to me, "I can't have this conversation about domestic life. I, I'm we're we're set in our habits and our patterns. If I bring up these issues, I've done it before. My husband will get very defensive." And so one woman says that to me. And then I find out that that same woman tells me that she's dumping wet clothes on her husband's pillow if he forgets to put them in the dryer. Was it me you were talking to? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Another woman said to me, you know, she can't communicate, you know, because she's worried her husband's going to be defensive. And I found out she has an Instagram account called The Shit My Husband Doesn't Pick Up. And she takes pictures of everything that's left in the sink or on the floor. And she publicly shames him on Instagram. So what I want to say to your listeners is you are already communicating. Hi, listener. I don't know your home, but I promise you if you let me in on your Nest Cam or whatever security camera you have, I will show you five ways you're already communicating about domestic life without you ever having to open your mouth. And so when I started to saying to women, look, this is not a conversation start. This is a conversation shift. Mm. I found women much more willing to come to the table. And even if not, I write a paperless post to, to men about the value proposition for why you should come to the table and play. And really by playing, what you were saying before is exactly right. This is about values. I'm asking people to have values conversations over garbage, over who is changing the light bulb, over your lawn and plants. I mean, these are not places where we typically have values conversations. And what I mean by that is the organizational management side came very easily to me. I understood it was super inefficient to break up the execution from the conception and planning, to ask someone who has no context to go get mustard if they have no idea why. So I knew that that made sense to keep own, have ownership of a task. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was I was neglecting my decade of values-based mediation. See, I'm a philanthropic advisor. I work with couples that look like the HBO show Succession. I'm not sure if that's in the UK yet, but these very high profile um, patriarchs and matriarchs. And I bring domestic harmony to their families through family systems. And so what I realized was that values-based talking really works. And so when I was Henning set the garbage card, but still super worried he wasn't going to take the full ownership, even though we discussed full ownership. And I was, um, I would open the door under the sink because he's really tall. So I was hoping he would trip <laughs> on the door and hit his like shin. And I'd be like, oh, well, since you tripped, you might as well get a garbage liner out of the, you know, the, underneath the sink. You know, very sort of still staying a little bit passive aggressive, not helpful. And he's like, look, Eve, you're stalking me over garbage. I can't, I'm not going to take ownership of this card. 
if you keep doing that. So finally, I sat down with him and said, here's why I value garbage. I grew up in a single mom household. I lived in the lower lower Manhattan growing up in the 80s. Not a very clean place to grow up. If you lived in a house like I did with a single mom who didn't invest in a garbage can, we just had a takeout bag and the garbage would spill out over it onto the floor every single night. And I was a dehydrated child, I like to say, because I was afraid to turn on the light. If you turn on the light, there would be hundreds, hundreds of water bugs and cockroaches that would just scatter everywhere throughout the kitchen. And so I'm super triggered by garbage. And so I had to be very vulnerable and tell Seth about what it makes me feel like to see an overflowing garbage can. It makes me feel like a seven-year-old again, Mm -hmm. where I had no control over my life. And once Seth was able to hear me and then reflect that he really doesn't care about garbage because he, you know, he's talking about how he lived in a fraternity and how he slept, he, one of his, you know, he used a, a pizza box as a pillow. You know, it wasn't really, uh, didn't really matter to him. Not only was garbage around, but he was sleeping on it. Yeah, he you know? would use it. <laughs> he was using it. In a, you know, so what happens when you're at such different values over something that actually has to get done in your house? Well, that's really what fair play is about. How do you get to a reasonable expectation, a reasonable person standard, a minimum standard of care, which is how we govern our business world, our medical world, our legal world. And when you can sit down and say, what's reasonable for us? So Seth and I did that. And he said, given your triggers, I think it's reasonable that I would take out the garbage once a day. I'll do it and put it in my calendar like a work appointment as long as you never fucking mention the word garbage ever again. And so for the past three years, garbage has been going out every night when he gets home. That's amazing. We never have to think about garbage again or talk about it. And have you not mentioned it to him? I have not. And that, you know, there are cars where you redeal. You don't, you know, you're you're never supposed to hold garbage forever. That one he happens to have been holding. We haven't redealt. But other cars you do redeal because the premise is you don't have these conversations once. Yeah. Like in the business world, like anywhere else, you have to just keep communicating. So the premise is that you talk once a week about these issues. You replay the game once a week. So Seth and I replay, but garbage is not usually on the table. So what if uh, someone's listening and thinks, this sounds brilliant, um, but I really don't think my partner's going to go for this. Because actually, it means that his you know, job list is going to go up. And actually, he quite likes having that extra <laughs> time and space and you know, headspace and, you know, the need to decompress after a really stressful day at work. What then? Okay, very good question. And I think that's why 50-50 is such a wrong equation because I think when women hear, oh, you want me to give my husband task cards, they're sort of thinking of a giant pile. And I'm not saying give your spouse a giant pile. I'm actually asking you you both to do more of less because it becomes way more efficient um, when you, I just, I just told you, I never have to use the word garbage ever again. Like all those hours I would have been talking about garbage over years are gone. So it becomes more efficient, way more efficient. But even more importantly than that, I'll end on one story because I know we don't have unlimited time, but it can be one card. One card is transformative. And since we're entering the holidays, I'll tell you a story about and this is not in the book, so this is a special story. It's an exclusive. Exclusive, because it didn't make it into the book. It was too late. Um, the manuscript had already gone out. But last holiday, last Christmas, I had a um, couple, of, like similar to what you just said. Some, a woman who was like, ah, Ed is not going to be on board with this. This is a man who has said to me in our interview 
that he is CEO outside the home and she, his wife is CEO inside the home. Like literally throw up. Like I wanted to like throw up with those messages. <laughs> but that, you know, he's a nice guy, whatever. So Ed, traditional guy, she's the CEO of the home. You know, she didn't think he was uh, going to entertain this, this game. But he also understands systems. He was an ex-athlete. Um, and so, you know, if anybody who understands systems, it's people who watch or play sports because they know you don't put in – um, you know, forward when you need somebody in your, you know, so as your defensive player, right? So, um, so basically, this is Julie and Ed. It's Christmas time. She tells me that she wants to try fair play because her mother just entered the hospital for some sort of neurodegenerative issue. Um, she's completely overwhelmed. She works part time. She's dealing with the children transporting them to school, uh, school lunches, you know, everything that she normally deals with. But on top of that, she's planning a family uh, vacation around Christmas. She's decorating the Christmas tree. She's dealing with in-laws issues. She's busy. She is busy, very busy. And, you know, again, her husband is too, but he did want to help. And she said to me, how can we bring fair play into our lives? And I said, well, it's Christmas time, so never bring anything new into your life around Christmas. But tell me what's triggering you. What, what's what's overwhelming you right now? And so she said, well, it's my second son, Brody's second grade Secret Santa project. Because, I don't know if they do this to you guys here, but it had to be done from scratch. So I always say, thank you, schools, for doing this to us. Yeah. And we're not busy enough. We're not busy enough around the holidays. It had to be done from scratch. And she was like, well, what, you know, if I have had to help me, it'll be a sock puppet, it'll be terrible. And she started going down this rant about – that he couldn't do it. So I said, you know, I need you to step back. Why do you want him to hold just one, this one card? I'm not asking for 50 out of the 100 deck. I'm asking for one card, asking him to hold one card for you for one project, the homework card for one project. And she said, I wouldn't even know, back to what your question was, how to bring this up. I wouldn't even know how to ask for help in that way because typically I would give him a list of everything I need for the Secret Santa project if I needed help. But you're telling me not to do that. You're bringing up this conception, planning, and execution, this ownership idea. I said, yes. I said, so let's step back. Why, Julie, do you care about this project? And so she says to me, she cares because it's the signature second grade project because you're supposed to teach kids that you don't need a $100 Nerf gun to be happy around Christmas, that it can be a homemade gift from a friend that can make you just as excited to open up the wrapping paper. And so it's this idea of a lack of materialism around the holidays. So I thought that was a beautiful answer. And I said, is there anything else? And she says, well, um, Brody drew a little girl that's new to the school in second grade. He's been there since kindergarten. And I noticed when I drop him off every morning that she's standing with a hula hoop in the corner, sort of looking at the wall and sort of kicking the hula hoop and pushing it around. But she doesn't talk to anybody. And so she hasn't made a friend in the three months she's been at the school. And so how nice if my son, who's popular and athletic and has been there since kindergarten, can make her something beautiful Mm -hmm. to say, like, welcome to the school. We'd write a little welcome to the school note. And so I said, you know what? Just stop there. Tell Ed that. Start with your why. Don't tell him that you're worried he's going to make a sock puppet or all the other stuff you said that was your internal dialogue. Just say why this means something to you and why you're asking for him to take it over. So she did, and I checked in with her and Ed, and Ed tells me he began Googling Secret Santa projects for little girls and with his son Brody, and they decide on a popsicle stick jewelry box. Oh. And that's what we're talking about, conception. Yeah. 
And then he writes down on a list everything they need. <laughs> you know, colored, he gives me lots of detail, Ed, which was so cute. Colored popsicle sticks, glue, uh, glitter. Um, Brody, uh, I guess, he, Ed told me wanted um, a knob so this little girl didn't need to use two hands to open up her jewelry box. So I was like, thank you, Ed, for this detail. detail. Yeah. So I was like, great. So that's the planning. Mm. And then he tells me this funny thing. There's a store in America. He goes, I discovered this cool store named Michael's, which is like our craft store that everybody knows. But like he had just discovered it. Um, and I took Brody. And it was great news was that, you know, you could find everything at one place. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a cool store. And so anyway, so he goes. He buys the all the stuff with Brody. He starts building it. And Julie said her life changed in that moment. And I was like, it's a very dramatic statement, and Julie's not a hyperbolic person. And I said, what was so transformative about this one small shift in the way you communicated with Ed? And she said it was out of the corner of her eye when she came home from seeing her mom at the hospital. She noticed when Ed and Brody were building the jewelry box that Ed had glitter on his hands. And I said, well, what's so what did that mean to you? And she said, you know, it was the first time where I actually felt like he was in it with me. And so I started thinking about men and getting all of these men all over the world with glitter on their hands. And it doesn't have to start with, we said, 50 cards or a huge transformative shift. It's asking for ownership, for not a helper, but help Mm -hmm. in ways that men can hear. And when they take ownership like that, there's a lot of benefit from them too. And I will end on Ed's comment to me about Brody in the car in the back from the store from getting the crafts, started crying to him about his grandma being in the hospital. And I don't think Ed, I have to go back and ask him, but I don't think Ed, he, he told it in such a way to me that it made me think that he didn't have that many interactions like that yeah. with his son before. Just so think about what him. he's getting, mm. the connection with his child. That's priceless. That's amazing. And so that is... You know, what I'm asking us all to do, make small changes, small shifts, and then it can lead to huge transformative ways in how we view the home. And if Ed and Julie can do it. That's what I said. If Ed and Julie can do it, it. if the CEO outside the home guy can do this, literally anybody can. On that note, Eve, thank you so much for being such a brilliant guest today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I urge everyone to uh, go out and buy a copy of Fair Play. Um, it really is it really is I think a bit of a game changer so thank you very much thank you so much for having me how fantastic and insightful was Eve I honestly just had such a brilliant time chatting to her thank you so much for tuning in as always please hop over to iTunes and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast because it really does help other people discover the podcast and it all helps um yeah thank you for tuning in and i'll catch up with you next week imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.